that now uh, in the blue hymnal 144. And would you join me in prayer, please? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past week marked a sad and yet very important anniversary in my life. It has been 14 years ago, as of March 2nd, that my best friend, Alicia Showalter Reynolds, was abducted and murdered. After 14 years, the pain has definitely subsided. But anyone who has dealt with grief, and most of us have, knows that the grief never fully goes away. And so anniversaries remind us of both good times the good times that we had when our loved ones were living. And they also remind us of the pain of the absence in their life. Alicia's untimely, unnecessary, and inexplicable death remind me, reminds me that life and this Christian thing that we claim is not so simple. Sometimes I wish that the teachings of Jesus, the rules and the expectations of Christianity were simple, that they were laid out, that they were basic and clear-cut. And instead, we struggle when we find conflicting points in the Bible, and there are clearly some issues that contradict each other in the Bible. Or sometimes we come across one of those confusing and inexplicable situations that we're not sure where God is or where we find God in it. Or sometimes we find in the Bible stories that we don't understand how they relate to us or why they were even included as part of the Holy Scripture. And thus this morning we find a barren fig tree. What do we do with a fig tree? Now, I don't know anybody who's ever had a fig tree in their yard, but I have never seen one in person. And so trying to imagine a fig tree and the importance of eating figs was something that is very common in Middle Eastern culture. And so we have this parable parable that Jesus tells that a man had a fig tree in his vineyard. And now commentaries would say a lot more about the importance of figs and vines and all that imagery, but I don't know if that's as important as just imagining a tree that was there that should have been bearing fruit by this time. And so when the owner of the land came and saw that after three years he had been waiting for this fruit tree to bear fruit, and once again it was empty, he was getting a little frustrated. So he called his head gardener over, and he said, do you see this tree? And the gardener said, yeah. And he said, three years now, three years we have been waiting for fruit to bear on this tree, and it's not coming again. I say, get rid of it. It's time to cut it down. We have better things to do with our time and soil. And the gardener said, 
Give me one more season to work with it. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to put the best manure and the best fertilizer, and we'll water it, and we'll take good care of it. And then next year at this time, we'll check one more time. And if it has fruit, well, wonderful. And if it doesn't, well, then you can come and cut it down. Now, Jesus, in the verses prior to the parable, the ones that Naomi also read, remind us that the day of reckoning is coming. And Micah and Isaiah, in their earlier prophecies, talked a lot about figs and vines. And so this imagery was important to the people of Jesus' day. Yet Jesus takes a a twist on this text and takes the analogies further than they ever did in the Old Testament. And they now experience, in their lack of fruitfulness, a sense of divine forbearance. Three years, based on understanding how fig trees work, which I've learned a little bit more about this week than I ever probably would have wanted to know, Three years should be enough time for a fig tree to grow fruit. And any logical gardener coming along would cut down the tree and get rid of it and replace it with something that truly is fruitful and use the land for much better use. Now Jesus has the person responsible for the vineyard do something that simply doesn't make any sense to us. Unless you consider the extravagant nature of God's mercy, which is an important element throughout the Gospel of Luke. And still we can't take God's generosity for granted. We need to actually respond to God's mercy. The fig tree may be given another year to demonstrate its ability to produce fruit, but if it fails to do so, it will be cut down. Now that scares me a little bit, because if we imagine ourselves as the fig tree, and if we're not producing enough fruit, God may cut us down. A text like this can scare us, because we want to believe in a merciful God, one who doles out forgiveness and mercy abundantly to all of us. And so what kind of gardener? Or what kind of God chops down a tree after three years or maybe even four years? So it's hard to live with the idea of a God who doesn't give extravagant grace. And yet, as parents, many of us know the importance of setting limits and having discipline. A spoiled child is one who does not have discipline in life and faces a world ahead of him or her full of difficulty. The fact of the matter is, while it's not always easy as a parent or anyone working with children, tough love is important. And frankly, if God were in the business of meeting our judgment and curses in relationship to our sins, well, probably none of us would be left on the planet. And so in this text, Jesus says no to simplistic answers, to deep, complex questions. 
no to attempts to solve deep troubles with quick fixes, and no to shallow theological thinking. Clearly, Jesus here is responding to the realities, realities of our everyday human life. Jesus tells a parable about a gardener determined to attend to a fruitless fig tree because Jesus is open to a future possibility that Jesus himself doesn't even control or manage. Facing the reality of mystery and the limits of what we can know is not an excuse to stand still and look sad, as sometimes I envision the disciples, as Luke describes them, paralyzed at the time of Jesus' death, just feeling like they had hit the end of the world. But Jesus is on a mission. And those of us who claim to be his disciples, who follow in his way in the power of the Spirit, also join him on that mission. Now much is unknown, and many questions will remain unanswered. There are no clear answers, but there are limits. Limits to what we can do and what we are able to do. But unlike many of Jesus' other parables, we don't know how this parable ends. We never find out if even the man who owns the land even agrees to let the gardener give it a try for one more year. We assume he does, but we don't know. And if he does allow the gardener to give it one more year, like many things, we do not know what the future holds. A number of years ago, I found this writing which has been attributed to Mother Teresa. I have not been to her home for children in Calcutta, India, but apparently these words were written and are written, I presume they still are, on the words, on the walls of her home for children. And they seem very appropriate here. So these words are from Mother Teresa. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. The words of Mother Teresa.
food consumer experts tell us that we should never go grocery shopping on an empty stomach. It's a good idea, but the fact of the matter is sometimes we can't help it. We're on our way home from work or from a busy day, and we think, what on earth am I going to have for supper? And so we stop at the grocery store hungry, and isn't it amazing how everything looks good? One of my favorite grocery stores to go to, and I have to admit that I'm really glad that there isn't one nearby, is Wegmans. If any of you have been to the store, it is one of the most beautiful supermarkets around. The displays of fruit in the produce aisle and the cheese, I don't even like cheese, and the cheese displays even entice me. <laughs> the smell of the bread is inviting, and they use all sorts of different senses to attract you to their food. And as I walk around, I find that my cart is being filled with things that I don't even think I'm going to use or eat, but it smells and looks and is so beautiful. And I think maybe, somehow or another, I'll use this in a recipe. There are so many options, so much variety there. And even though I know that usually the prices at Wegmans are a little bit more than what I might have at Giant or Smart Shopper or wherever else I go, I'm enjoying the atmosphere so much that I kind of get carried away and the cart becomes fuller and fuller and all of a sudden I find myself putting in filet mignon and pork loin and gourmet cheeses and loaves of bread and some of the most scrumptious produce. And when my cart is overflowing with that delicious, fresh, appetizing, tantalizing, wonderful food, I walk up to the checkout counter, and then it's there that it dawns on me. I think that I have spent about a year's worth of my grocery budget with this cart full of food. And yet, I'm stuck at this point. And so I put the food up on the register belt, and the cashier begins to run it through. I can barely look as the total. And so finally, I take the nerve that I've been ignoring and look up. And as she scans each item, it rings up zero. And she rings up the next item. Zero, zero, free, buy one free, get the next one free. And I'm amazed. I mentioned something to her that something seems to be wrong. And she said, no. Did you want to go back and get some more? And I think, well, maybe. No, no, I'm good. I have enough. And at the end of the order, she says, your total is zero. Would you like paper or plastic? Imagine then if I take all the food, this bountiful, delicious food that I have, and I pack it up on a spring day, warm with sunshine, and I take it over here to the park, and I spread it out for all. I've gotten grills, and I'm grilling the meat and the fillets, loads and loads of fruit, 
and the best juices. And I spread it out, and I put up a sign free for all who care to eat. And I see people there from the community meal. I see people there from this church. Suddenly, Mayor Gray shows up in his bow tie. And other people come, people that I've never met, judges, lawyers, police officers, and other people. And it is a feast for all of us. Our two texts today offer us opposing opposing viewpoints of God. Isaiah describes a plentiful vision of abundance and gifts from God, sort of that feeling of going to the supermarket and being able to find everything you want and it being free. And then we have Luke's parable, which warns us of trees that do not bear fruit that will be cut down. But Isaiah's offer is unlike anything we know or practice. In Isaiah's vision for us, everyone gets all the food and drink that one needs. Everyone who is thirsty gets water. Now, how many of you were thirsty this morning when the kids were drinking the water? Did it? I mean, it was amazing how you were like, I pulled out my water bottle in my bag and started drinking. But if you didn't have it, it was amazing how just the thought of it sometimes brings the thirst to our mouths. Everyone who is thirsty gets water, Isaiah says. Everyone who is hungry gets food. And yet Isaiah also warns us that in contrast to what is free, here we are paying for things that we don't need in the first place. Spending money on what what is not bread and laboring for what doesn't really fill us or satisfy us. And so Isaiah says it's time to reevaluate our diet. And we need to look for the good and the rich food. And yet sometimes we don't even know how thirsty we are. One of the wonderful trips that I got to take while I was on sabbatical was a trip to Phoenix, Arizona to visit a good friend, Rachel, who lives there. And I had never been to Phoenix before. And I know that this will come as a Bit of a surprise for some of you, but I don't do very well in hot weather. And so I went in October purposefully to visit Rachel. And yet they happened to be having one of the hottest days on record in October when I was there. It was over 100 degrees in late October, and Rachel and I had decided that that would be our day of hiking And so we went hiking that morning. And I looked at the temperature in the car before we got out, and it said 102. And Rachel grabbed the water bottles and handed me one. And I carried it with me. And I began to walk. And what was amazing is that if the temperature would have been 102 here in Lancaster, the minute I would have gotten out of the car, I would have started dripping wet because I just do that. And we started up the trail, and I realized that I wasn't sweating at all. But after the first turn, Rachel stopped, and she said, you need to drink. And I said, oh, okay. I didn't think anything of it. I took my drink. 
And then we walked a little bit farther. After about another five minutes, Rachel said, well, you need to stop and drink again. And I said, Rachel, this is amazing. Normally by now I would be sweating, and I'm not. And she said, in the dry heat, you don't realize how thirsty you are, but you, but you are. And so we need to keep drinking. Isaiah's words are like that reminder that I received from Rachel. Stop along the journey and drink water. Drink the good water. You're thirsty, whether you realize it or not. We need to hear and respond to Isaiah's invitation, but not on what we are feeling right now, but rather because of something that is true at every moment of our lives. Isaiah reminds us that we are bombarded with all sorts of desires and temptations every day of our lives. New, faster, more impressive cars, credit cards with lower interest rates, the stylish new spring fashion line, a new iPhone or iPod or iPad, higher count sheets that will feel comfortable as we slide into bed, a bigger home, a fancier bathroom. But these kinds of enticements can sometimes promise to satisfy us with empty calories, calories that don't nourish us and turn us away from the way of life that God wants us to have. And so this Lent, we have been given the gift of time. Time in our church calendar to take a step back and look at the fig tree. How are we nourishing ourselves? We may not have realized how we have been feeding ourselves, and perhaps we have wandered away from God farther than we realized to feed the hunger that we had felt, but may not have been real. Today, Isaiah, with the parable in Luke, calls us back to the truth so that we can recommit ourselves to God's offer of steadfast love and relationship as the true way for our lives. Daniel de, Ma Daniel de Beauvoir writes, In the midst of the false promises for the good life, the full life, the successful life, the happy life, the meaningful life, or the exciting life that are so prevalent in today's world, Isaiah implores us. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that God may have mercy on them. And to our God, for God will abundantly pardon. May it be so. Amen.